God's preparing real life for some great things, and I'm really excited. We've gotten a lot of words, a lot of promises. Um, there's not a week or a lot of times, not even a day that goes by without somebody saying to me, Pastor Dean, God is about to do something great through Real Life Church. How many want to believe that with me? Come on. And you can sense it. The Holy Spirit is stirring his people. He's stirring his church. There's something more that he has for us, and I believe he's wanting to expand our territory. It's the title of my message today. He wants to expand our territory. He wants us to step in to new things. He wants us to step in to new land. He wants us to step in. And how do we do that? We do it through faith. And so God is preparing us, and we're going to dive into the word today. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 13. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. If you don't know anything, we didn't really cover chapter 7 last week because where we left off, uh, Stephen is getting resisted. He's waiting uh, tables. He's, he's running the food ministry to the widows and opposition rise up. And basically he has an opportunity to preach. He preaches a long message in uh, Acts chapter 7. You can read it. And at the very end, he gets stoned to death and Saul is there to approve of his death. Chapter 8, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere. There was persecution happening as we jump into chapter 8. And then it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Verse 9, but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed, notice that word keeps coming up, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God, not has the power of God. No, he is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with sorceries for a long time. This community was under a spell. They were under a spell of witchcraft. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, I love this, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself, the sorcerer, also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. In verses 14 to 25, we won't take time to read those, but the people in Samaria are in revival. They're receiving the word of God and they're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're putting their trust in him and they're being baptized. Philip is baptizing them. I'm sure he couldn't even keep up with the people that were coming to know the Lord and the apostles. The word gets back to the apostles who are in Jerusalem now, the apostle Peter and apostle John. And so they make their way to Samaria to help Philip out. 
And so when they get there, the apostle Peter and the apostle John, they lay hands on the new believers who had been put their trust in God and been water baptized. And guess guess what happens? They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see this pattern throughout the book of Acts. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see water baptism. And then we can't forget this. We see a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then they confront Simon the sorcerer who had some issues going on in his heart and they continue to testify and preaching before returning to Jerusalem. Now, I'm sure when the 120 in the upper room, you remember Acts 1 verse 8, let's go back there for a moment. In Acts 1 verse 8, I believe that they had no idea how God would orchestrate the unfolding of the promise that was given. Acts 1.8 says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and into the earth. Everybody say, that's the promise. They receive this promise in Acts chapter 1 verses 8. And they have no idea how God would orchestrate the unfolding of that promise, nor did they understand the price attached to the promise. How many know God's promises will cost you something? And they had no idea what it would cost or what the sacrifice would be for them to become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. I believe we need to be reminded that God's promises exist to give us hope and a confident expectation of the future despite the present uncertainty of our circumstances. How you know God wants to give you a promise, come on, to give you hope, to fill your heart with hope, to give you a confident expectation. You might not see it happening right now, but how many know you can see it in the unseen realm? You can see it with the eyes of your heart. With the eyes of faith, you can begin to see these things. It leads me to my... First point in your notes there, God's promises when exercised lift me above the impossibilities I'm faced with on earth into the realities of the kingdom of God that he wants to release in my life and through my life. So God wants to take us from impossibilities, come on, to kingdom realities. How many know he has so much more for us? And here it is, the promise in Acts chapter 1. There are 120 people stuffed in an upper room, and God says, you know what? You're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm sure they were baffled on how is that going to happen. What I want us to understand is God doesn't give the early church a roadmap on, what he's, on how he's going to get them there. You see, there's the promise. Then how do we know there's a path to the promise? And we walk, the, we walk to the God's promises, come on, on those paths to the promises by faith. Everyone say, by faith. Hebrews 11.8 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Have you been guilty of not knowing where you're going? Only three of you, not just me, Right? How about before Google Maps? You didn't know where you were going, right? And and for Christians, listen, we can't can't be afraid of uncertainty. Come on, how do you know that's when our faith can kick in? You see, if we knew everything that needed to happen in order to see God's promises, and everybody gets excited about God's promises, right? We get excited. 
But if we knew everything that needed to happen in order to see God's promises fulfilled in our lives, many of God's promises would go unpursued. God promised you a house, right? But he didn't tell you how much the deposit was going to be that you needed to get. He didn't tell you that somebody was going to give you the 25000 to put down on that house. You looked within yourself, but God said, you know what, I've promised you, and then came a blessing. Then came a gift. Some of you guys are looking at me, I didn't get no gift, right? <laughs> Romans 4.18 says, even when there was no reason for hope, talking about Abraham and Sarah's situation, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, now, now uh, God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. That's what this picture is. You guys have probably looked at these. If you weren't here last summer, we did a series on divine mentors. And this first picture here is of Abram. And Abram at this point in this picture, he's in a tent at that moment. And he's saying, God, I'm an old man. You've promised me a son. You've promised me a multitude. You promised that I would be the father of a nation. And he's inside of his tent. And I'm sure he's looking at the roof of his tent and he's got, how are you going to do this? And God tells Abram, basically, he says, look, Abram, don't get caught up in the how, get caught up in the wow. And he says, step outside of your tent and look up and begin to count the stars because I want to fill your heart with faith, Abraham. You're not going to be able to count the stars and neither are you going to be able to count your descendants. Come on. I love verse 20 and 21. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. This is my definition of faith in verse 21. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Will you repeat that after me? Say, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. In Acts 8, we observe God's promise to be a witness in Samaria coming to fulfillment, coming to pass through the life of Philip. But let's remember all that's happened to get Philip where he needed to be. Are you guys ready to go on this journey? I'm, I'm going to go into a little bit of teaching mode, so stay with me. <clears throat> I, I'm just enjoying this series. I'm probably giving you way too much. In fact, I know that I am, but I'm trying to get through the book of Acts, all right? My first point is this, Philip was not an apostle, he was available. Philip was not an apostle, he was available. Many people will say, you know what, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders that stopped with the apostles. Well, if that's the case, why did Philip operate in signs and wonders? Because he was just waiting on tables. Come on, somebody. And wonders started breaking out among the widows. Exciting stuff. You see, Philip was one of the seven men, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, like Stephen, who was chosen to wait on tables in the widow's feedings ministry that we talked about last week. Amazing, he's in that list of seven. Here's Philip, just like Stephen, chosen and selected. How many know when you take care of the overlooked, God doesn't overlook you? Come on, when you take care of those that are neglected, God will select you. Come on. His faithfulness in serving the overlooked and neglected positioned him to fulfill the promise of being a witness in Samaria. 
this really highlights the fourth of our five habits here at Real Life, that when we lead humbly, God is the one who exalts us, and God is the one who promotes us. When we're just willing to serve, how many know God will release a sign? Come on, when we're just willing to work, how many know God will work out the wonder? He'll do amazing things in your life, but so many times we're waiting on the big things. Everybody say big things. You see, Philip picked up a towel, and God picked him out to be a witness to fulfill the promise of taking the gospel to Samaria. You see, we get excited about being a witness, but not so much about keeping the wine glass full, as I talked about last week. You see, expansion into new territory, Real Life Church family, has everything to do with our faithful execution of the current assignment he's already given us. You see, it doesn't do us any good to ask God for more, come on, if we're not stewarding the small things he's already given us. We were at Brother Sam Gomez's funeral, and um, there were folks that had come. There's about 150 people came to the service, and so there about 150 people came, folks that transitioned from real life before I got here, and then some that have left during the process. And when they walked on the property, they were like, wow. The parking lot is paved. There's stripes in the parking lot. Wow, you guys have a sign. There's fresh paint. Wow, look at the bathrooms are clean and they smell good. I'm not joking. Why? Because I told you, listen, if we're not faithful with the facility that God has given us to facilitate the move of God that he wants to do among us now, we might as well stop and go home, right? No reason to ask him for more if we can't handle what he's already given us. Expansion into new territory has everything to do with our faithful execution of the current assignment he's already given us. Expansion into bigger things doesn't come without the execution of doing small things well. How many know there are no shortcuts to doing big things in the kingdom? I've seen it time and time again. And I've been a part of ministries, and I've seen this happen with my own eyes where, 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 where we want the big thing to happen that we ignore the small things. And when, how many know when we go after the big thing, what ends up happening is we have nothing at the end. But if we're just faithful in the small things, how many know God releases more things into our hands? When we're good with this, God will give us more. When we're good with this, God will give us more. You see, there are no shortcuts to doing big things in the kingdom. But our culture has conditioned us to desire maximum outcomes in exchange for minimum input. So you might have a big call in your life. You might have a big vision on your life. But how many know if you're not faithful with the small things, that big thing's not coming? And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we'll get that big thing. And we're not ready because we didn't take care of the small things. And what happens is we implode under the pressure of it. I've seen churches time and time again. They'll have crowds, right? They'll have crowds, but they don't last because they don't know how to do a follow-up. Come on, they don't have an urgent care ministry taking care of folks during the week, right? We've got to do small things well. You see, some of us are stuck in our Christian walk. We're in the same place we were a year ago because we're waiting for the big thing. We're waiting for the perfect thing. We're waiting for God's perfect will. 
God's perfect assignment, God's perfect scenario, instead of doing his will and letting him perfect it. How many know God calls you to a mess? Come on. I talked about that last week, right? He doesn't call you to perfection. He calls you to a problem. And in the process, he uses what's inside of you, come on, to correct it, to perfect it. And guess what he's doing in you? He's preparing you and he's perfecting you for something else. And that's how God works in the kingdom. Instead of doing God's will, we need to do the small thing and allow him to lead us to the big thing. That'll preach. But anyway, here we go. I had a friend in a Bible college, and again, we're 19, 18, 19 years old at the time, and he needed a job really bad. And uh, we're just saved about a year, and, and we're just learning. We have no idea, but I mean, his, his laundry started piling up. He didn't have no money. I mean, we were eating top ramen as it is, and, and we were like, man, we're not giving you any top ramen. This is our food, you know? And so two weeks go by, I said, I said, Brother, I said, you need to go get a job at McDonald's. He said, I am not working at McDonald's. Another week went by. I said, brother, you need to go to McDonald's, and they will hire you on the spot. He said, I am not. I said, yes, you are. I'm taking you down there right now. <clears throat> sure enough, McDonald's hired him on the spot. And for two weeks, my, my roommate, he was working the McDonald's drive through and being 18 and 19 years old, we wanted to make sure that he was humbled, and so we would go in order and make fun of him, you know. <laughs> he hated every minute of it. But you know, God humbled him through that process, and you know, he only had to work that McDonald's drive-in for two weeks, and God opened the door to the job that he really wanted. But God had to do something. He had to do something that he didn't want to do to get to where God wanted to take him. You see, many of us are waiting on God, but the truth is God is waiting on us. How many know he'll work it out? But we've got to go all out and begin to walk these things out. Leads me to my second point. Opposition created Philip's opportunity. In Acts 8.1, at the time of a great persecution, Scripture says, arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Here's the kingdom principle that I want you to get. It's in your notes. Some of the greatest opportunities come out of the greatest opposition. How you know the doors of Samaria, they never open without the doors in Jerusalem closing? And I felt like this was a word for someone today as I was praying and preparing. But listen, don't panic about a door closing because of opposition. Instead, ask God about the opportunity behind the door he's opening. And you might, not see, you might see the door, but you might not see it open. Well, here's the key. Let's ask, let's seek, let's knock. And how many know Jesus will open the door at the right time? Listen, don't fight to keep a door open that God wants to close. Did you hear me? Don't fight to keep open a door that God wants to close. How many know God can use the worst of things to bring forth the best of things in your life? You see, persecution scattered believers from Jerusalem, but how many know it allowed Philip to spread the gospel into Samaria? How many know you don't want to scatter some Holy Ghost-filled believers, right? That's a dangerous thing to do, and that's what's happening in this passage. They get into new territory. It leads me to my third point. 
Philip preached Christ, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus. Verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. I want us to notice the pattern of Philip's preaching in verse 5 and verse 12. It says he preached Christ, he preached things concerning the kingdom of God, and he preached the name of Jesus Christ. Why didn't he just say uh, he preached Jesus three times? Because there's a pattern and there's a reason why he did. Let me share that really quick. When he preaches Christ for the first time, he goes, he enters into Samaria. And for the first time, Philip walks in and he begins to proclaim that the Messiah, who, by the way, the Samaritans had an expectation that the Messiah was coming. Philip proclaims, hey, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king has come. And he proclaims Christ to them. The picture here is as a king, when he comes to the crown or to the throne, he is proclaimed throughout the dominion. And how many know when the king is proclaimed throughout the dominion, everybody is subject to the king's rule? And here comes Philip. Listen, he doesn't come preaching Jesus. He comes preaching Christ. You see, Philip preached Jesus reigns before he preached Jesus saves. Let me give me a chance to teach here. Philip preached, my king has come to take back what the enemy has stolen. My king has come to break the spell of sorcery that Simon has cast on you. My king has come to break you free from every unclean spirit. My king has come to do something in your life. You've been under here, but God wants to bring you above and beyond where you're at. And I'm spitting real good up here. Come on. You see, if we don't proclaim Jesus' authority, people will never find true liberty. You can, I've been in churches all over the globe, all over the world, and when you walk in it, you can tell what authority they're walking in. Come on, churches that I've been to, I've been to churches in Canada, I've been to churches in Ghana, I've been to churches all over the world, and you can tell when you're walking into something, come on, that where Christ is reigning. <clears throat> Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's a proclamation statement. That's Isaiah the prophet talking about the ministry that Jesus was going to have hundreds of years before it ever happened. How many know the king has come? That when people, listen, come on, when people walk into real life church, listen, how many know they're walking under a different authority? Come on, that every demon in hell must flee. Every addicted chain must break and fall. It has no authority in this place. And listen, God is developing us. God is teaching us. He's teaching me. God is developing us to walk in this authority. People wonder why. Wait, why aren't people getting saved? And, and why isn't this happening? And why isn't that happening? Wasn't that? Listen, we've got to learn. Come on. As Ben Daly told us a couple years ago, we've got to learn to live life above the line. Come on, above and not beneath. That Satan is under our feet. He's been defeated. He's been crushed. I love this, verse 6, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Remember how we talked about earlier, they were heeding the voice of what Simon the sorcerer was saying? How many know the kingdom of God trumps all of that? 
says they heeded him and the unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Come on, Philip preached Christ. The king has come. His kingdom is coming. Listen, and oppression was broken off the people and an entire city got their joy back. Come on, darkness in heaven. You ever felt like you were walking under a cloud? You're just walking under the wrong authority. Listen, take your authority in Christ. Come on, start walking in who he says you are. We see the same pattern in, in Paul's ministry. He talks about it. He's retelling his testimony in Acts 26, verse 17. He says in verse 18 to, uh, that he was called to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Why does he have to do all those things? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How you know you've got to deal with darkness before you can get to people's hearts? We wonder why people aren't coming to the church in droves is because we're trying to get them saved, but we haven't taken authority over the darkness and the dominion that has reigned over our city. I didn't tell that to first service. Y'all better write that down. Come on. Verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. He preached things concerning the kingdom of God. How do you know when you drive darkness out? Come on. God didn't, God didn't tell us to get people saved at a spiritual bus stop. No, no, he didn't tell us to get decisions. No, he said make disciples. So listen, how many know it's a worse thing? Scripture says it's a worse thing if you come on, clean out the darkness, and you do nothing. How many know it's going to get worse? You just open the door for that person, come on, and you're going to subject, subject them to some worse conditions. But here, here was, he preaches Christ, right? Unclean spirits are flying out, and now he teaches the kingdom of God. Righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, joy, peace. He's discipling them now. He's proclaiming the authority that they have, the dominion that they were born for. Come on, the power of overcoming darkness and the power of life overcoming death. You see, Philip not only preached the king reigns, he also preached the kingdom comes. Listen, how you know there's a reason why God invades the darkness. It's so that the light can come in. You guys still with me? <laughs> and then he preached the name of Jesus Christ. He proclaimed the privilege of every believer that the Lord has given his signature of authority to you and me. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we pray. And it's not our power. Amen? It's not us. We're not the healer. Christ is the healer. And so when we pray, Jesus has given us his name and his authority, come on, to seal the deal. I love what Jack Hayford says. He says, the currency of the kingdom is the name of Jesus. You see, it says, the scripture says this, for where two or three are gathered in what? My name, there I am in the midst of them. And these signs shall follow them, not just that believe, but that believe in my name, they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Come on, how we know, not my name. Come on. Come on, I got people, okay. will you pray for me? Just pray in Jesus' name, not Pastor Dean's name. Come on. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. But don't stop with the oil. Come on, pray in the name of the Lord. 
I love this because Philip doesn't stop at just getting decisions. He makes disciples. How you know, as believers, we can't stop at just being Sunday attendees. God has called us to be believers. Believers in who he is, disciples. Now I want us to jump, and I'm almost done. I'm going to get you out of here on time. I'd like us to jump to the end of chapter 8. 26 to 31, we're reintroduced to Philip. There's a transition in his ministry. The Lord's about to move him on. Now imagine how hard it was for, he's, he's experiencing revival, signs and wonders are following him, and he has another assignment, and he drops it on him. Philip is spoken to by an angel to go and witness to a man from Ethiopia. Let's pick up the story in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go. Everyone say, arise and go. Towards the south, the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, interesting phrases, it says, this is desert. In other words, listen, not all the roads you're going to be traveling on are ones that you actually desire to travel on. It says, this is desert. In other words, it's going to be a dry, long, bumpy road, all right? And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him. I just love Philip's passion for souls. He's running. Come on. He's running. Come on to witness to this guy, to this eunuch. And he heard him reading the prophet, uh, Isaiah 53, actually, verses 6 to 8. He hears him reading that, and you can read it in verse 30 there. Leads me to my fourth point, though. Philip had angelic help to advance his, uh, his evangelistic efforts. Philip had angelic help to advance his evangelistic efforts. I really believe as a church, we need to have a revelation and understanding that all of heaven is backing us up in all of our endeavors and evangelistic efforts that are to come. Listen, what God has put in our hearts to do through this church, how we know it's going to take heaven's resources, not man's resources. How we know what God wants to do, listen, it's going to take not just an army right here, but it's going to take the heavenly armies to be activated in our midst. You see, we need to have a revelation that all of heaven is backing us up in whatever we do. This is something that uh, we're learning as a staff together. Pastor uh, Jesse and I, we, 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 she's doing an incredible job, but she's getting to know me and I'm getting to know her and she's killing it. But she knows that I have some big things in my heart. And, and, and one of the things that we're learning together is that God provides Come on. So I'll go into there and I'll say, Pastor Jesse, I want to feed the neighborhood. And she'll say, are you sure God told you that? <laughs> Did you price the tent? No, I didn't price the tent yet. Did you know how much that was? No, I didn't price it out yet. I'm just telling you what we want to do, right? And every time we step out to do it, I'll get her permission first. I'll say, you say yes, we're going to do this together, all right? She'll say yes, we'll do it. And how many know God provides? Why? Because, listen, God is not limited, come on, by our resources. He's limited, come by our fear to step towards what he's calling us to do. 21 times in the book of Acts alone, the activity of angels is mentioned. 21 times. Angels are mentioned 175 times in the New Testament. How many know we read about angels? We sing about angels? Come on. 
We are standing on holy ground And I know that there are angels all around But y'all don't believe that Y'all just singing it because it's on the screen, right? I believe and I know that there are angels all around. Can you just stop for a moment and think about what you're singing? This is what I believe. That the call on our lives, Pastor Sam, I just really believe this is for you. This next season, God is... Bringing in, I'm telling his angels are in charge over you and Cassie and the ministry. Come on. There is an angelic, angelic army around Operation I Dream. I just see it. I just see it. God is calling you to impossible things. Come on. I Dream is about to be a bigger dream. Lord, we thank you, God, for the ministry there. But I believe the call on our lives, because how many know there's a lot of callings in here? There's calls to Zambia, there's calls to Ghana, there's calls to Mexico, there's calls that haven't been called yet, called to special needs ministry, there's call to youth, there's call, all these calls. Calls on this church, listen to me, that will require angelic help. You say, that's weird. 175 times in the New Testament alone. Because it's not us. It's not man-made systems. (laughs) I'm tired of man-made systems and man-made models and church this and church that. I'm tired of that. I'm ready to see in the unseen realm. And I'm ready to see, come on, to get some angelic help with what God wants to do here. I wish somebody would get excited as me today and just say, I need some heavenly help. I need some heavenly hosts in my life. I need some financial resources. Lord, I'm not limited. I'm not limited, but I'm serving the unlimited God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm still going to finish on time. We say it all the time that the angels rejoice at the repentance of one person who receives salvation, but we don't know what that means because we disconnected from the context of the word of God. You know why they're rejoicing? Because they're doing all the hard work to get that person saved. People that we've given up on, people that we said, you know what, they'll never, I don't know what it's going to take. I'm telling you, angels, come on. Angels, come on, you just, come on. How you know we got to command the heavenly host to help us out? Hebrews 1.14, you think I'm lying. I'm reading out of the passage translation. It says, what role then do the angels have? The angels are spirit messengers sent by God to serve those who are going to be saved. Come on, that just gave hope to somebody. Listen, you've got a spouse that don't want anything to do with God. I'm just telling you, there's some angels ministering to that person right now. You've got a child that's on their 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 their, their wayward. They're on the, they're doing their own thing. Let me just tell you, an angel can guide them and get them on the right path doing the right thing. You see, we need angelic help and what I want what I want us to understand as a church, listen, going forward. Listen, this this isn't just 
Pastor Dean's good ideas. No, no, we want strategies from heaven. Listen, that's going to take all of heaven to pull it off. You hear my heart? (laughs) The man from Ethiopia wasn't just any man. He was a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. Everybody said he had influence. This is what I want to say because I believe it's something that God is going to begin to open up. Uh, There's a word that Bishop Miller gave us over a year ago, and he said misfits are coming to real life, and they're going to become kings in Sacramento. I don't know if he knew. I knew he didn't know. wasn't talking about the Sacramento kings, but how do you know? Come on. But listen, God desires to save people in low places. And I want to tell you, I've got the heart for the overlooked, the broken, the down, the homeless, whatever. I've got heart for those people as well. But listen, he had influence and God desires to save people in low and high places. It leads me to my fifth point. We have to leave room for the unexplainable if we're going to do the unthinkable. Philip has this beautiful exchange with the Ethiopian man. He believes in Jesus, and he says, hey, can I get baptized? And as Philip's baptizing him, something crazy happens to him. You could read it in verse 39. It says, now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came. Philip got snatched up and ended up 20 miles away preaching, come on, to people who had never heard the gospel before. I just got this sense, listen, that God wants to give us some angelic and heavenly help to accelerate things around here at Real Life Church. But you say, Pastor Dean, come on, explain that one, Pastor Dean. Explain that one. Nope, I'm not going to do it. Because if we want to see God expand us into new territory... We have to be willing to trust his ways, not criticize them. We've got to be willing, listen, to get caught up in the wonder. Come on, not get afraid of it. We've got to be able to embrace the sign. Come on, and not get a scared, get, get, get away from it. We have to be willing to trust his ways, not just the ones we understand.